what a masterpiece yeah right beautiful the, the uh, stars have aligned like it's amazing that's how it always feels you know with these things is like yeah. wow look at this you know <laughs> alignment phenomenal man how you doing yo 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 what's up dude how are you pretty good i'm i'm actually feeling extra good right now oh, yeah? ask me why okay why because your boy just found a new subdomain takeover zero day right before this call and Dang. yeah i got i got my homies scanning for it they're popping left and right i don't even do subdomain takeovers anymore but i just recently got back into the game just because i saw this asset that looked like it was going to be possible so Nice. I'm pretty hype. It, 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 you know, I talk about the recon game being a bit of a grind, you know, like doing really wide recon, always having to update your tools, always having to, uh, you know, increase the speed and efficiency of your tools to compete with other people. But man, does it feel good when you just like pop something and you just see like, boom, 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 boom. Ugh. That's awesome. So is this like a whole new like uh, like class or like a whole service or is like a like you know like shop? Yeah, or whatever, it's for example? it's a new service. Um, it's not you know I say zero day and it is a zero day, but it's it's not you know it's not something mega technical. It's just a new service that there's not any documentation on. Um, you know this service being able to be subdomain taken over, subdomain takeovered turn that into a verb for you. Um, so I was pretty excited about it. It, it was really easy. Um, but yeah, I, I think people just don't think about it from a new perspective anymore. A lot of times people will just Google, Hey, can I do subdomain takeover on bloody blah, blah, and then just stop there if there's no results, but really yeah. you got to go pay. Like we always say, man, you got to go pay the, the entrance fee to get access to the control panel to see if you can register the domain yourself. And, a lot of times you'll take an L and you won't, and you'll pay that, you know, 50 bucks or whatever it was to get access to that service. But the other times, you know, stuff will pop in it and it's great. Nice. Well, that's awesome, dude. That, that, that's, I mean, that's just, you know, showing that the stuff we talk about, like it's, here it is being used in the real world. It works, man. It works. All right. Awesome. <clears throat> Let's see what we got. Um, so news, as far as news goes, once again, we've got a pretty good, lineup today um this episode's probably going to be a little bit light joel and i both have some extra stuff going on this week but um we do have a decent amount of news stuff so let's uh let's take a peek at that yeah cool so uh, the first thing that came up was from um uh no operator no operator my boy no operator yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. no operator so um i don't know you you know you may have heard but there was a new tld that was released the dot zip tld so they oh yeah (laughs) Yeah. that caused a, a whole thing on twitter yeah, so Google, if you don't know, Google owns a lot of different TLDs. Um, I th- honestly, I think it's just like one of their hobbies. They just collect TLDs. <laughs> so the, you know, did you know they own .new as well? So Do like they you, really? Yeah, oh. so you can go to docs.new or sheets.new or slides.new and it makes a no new way. Like, yeah, yeah, it makes like a new Google Doc, or Google Sheets, what? you know, file or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so like, what the heck, Joel? Why, yeah, <laughs> how do you yeah, know all this it's stuff? Crazy. I don't even remember how, how I found that at one point, but like, yeah, so you can do like docs.new. That's like what one of my favorite ones that I use to like make new documents and stuff. That's awesome. But they also own .zip. You know, they own .google. Anyways. Wow, I feel like that's kind of a C-surf though. Like I can just create a bunch of new documents by making a request to docs.new yeah docs.new dude hold on wait did that like hold on hold on did that just like stick it in my google drive yeah what but i think google docs you can have you can have like anonymous well it it won't auto save until you put something in it i think okay 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 but uh, i was gonna say because if you could just like have someone come to your page window.open docs.new like 50 times instantly and just blow up their google drive that would be real annoying it wouldn't necessarily be bad time (laughs) yeah but like it it would be annoying (laughs) yeah yeah so it's super interesting um but yeah they own dot zip as well like this the this dot tld um or or this tld and they released it to the public so you can register domains on the dot zip 
uh, subdomain or okay. Sorry, I'm sorry, TLD. you still got me on the dot. Oh yeah, on the dot. Yeah, so so okay, so yeah, I'm sorry. Continue. You're saying the dot zips. They they have dot zip now. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you can you can register, <laughs> you know, my domain dot zip and. The you know the observant listener can probably already see where this is going because yeah. .zip is for zip files. It's a very commonly used file extension out in the wild. Um, so you can see the potential for tricking people into visiting do a domain or having it at the end of a command or something. Mm. And so an operator put together this awesome like basically a, a proof of concept that shows okay like imagine I send you this uh, command this wget command mm -hmm. uh, you know it just downloads like a zip from the github releases and then it unzips it and mm -hmm. in the screenshot that they show it's downloading like the zip it looks all completely normal you unzip it and it's got their pwned content in it and yeah, it took I, me like a really long time to figure out how this worked same man i commented on that and i was like hey man what the heck is going on and he he got me confused with like the way that his like because he posted a command that has of ls right at the end and it got me all hecked up because i i couldn't read it because the columns were switched around from normal ls because he's using something weird but i to be honest man like i don't know i kind of thought everybody was overreacting when this came out and and you know at the end to be fair, it's not the biggest deal in the whole world, but um, definitely, you know, when I clicked on operator's post here, um, and you scroll down here, hold on, I don't, it, I think it's in the doc. Hold on, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's the second. No, I'm gonna put it in the doc for you real quick so you can see what I'm talking about. Um, it's this. So go to that post and then scroll down to um, the the Stack Overflow. Uh, image in that post. So if you go to an operator's post, there's a Stack Overflow image, and I would absolutely just go to that wget, double click on it, and then paste it into my terminal and press enter. Yeah, I um, mean, a hundred percent. Like it's yeah. it's extremely like it looks like very like you know like it, it it doesn't look malicious at all. It just looks like any other like set of commands or whatever that you would copy and paste from like from like a. Yeah. Stack Overflow post, right? Yeah, I really like the the breakdown that he did a little bit later too, where he actually breaks it out and says, okay, the first, you know, just by adding a space here, we're able to skip that whole GitHub section and then just make source code.zip the thing that he reaches out to. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, you basically, yeah, the, what you just talked about there is like kind of like the little secret. So, in the screenshot, it's not obvious at all like even in the original like tweet that they made you, yeah. you you don't really like understand just because of the way that the line wraps around the terminal and stuff there's right. actually a space after the like the one url and then followed by like he owns source code.zip source dash code.zip right and so like you would expect that this would download source code.zip but what you don't realize is there's a space and it's actually two different urls and since source code.zip is a valid domain now it resolves it and then it it like downloads it and so you could just see like it's literally like one space difference right like yeah. you add a space and you and, and you're, you're pwned so sneaky man sneaky. yeah and then i bet i bet you could actually also sort of um combined this with a uh a sort of a what is it called is it zip slip because this is a zip snip but zip maybe snip, it yeah. is, <laughs> zip you can combine it with a zip slip attack which i think is like a path traversal in the zip files right yeah um and then you could get arbitrary file right potentially so there's definitely there's definitely some risk here i wouldn't i don't know that i would go so far as to i mean we'll see how far how the adoption goes but i don't know that i would be I would go so far as to just block the whole TLD. Yeah. Um, but, you know, hey, maybe maybe that's the best move and make sure that... Because at the end of the day, the, the big risk here is for technical people making mistakes, right? It's not a lot of times that um, non-technical people are running wget and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a little bit on the, on the fringe, I would say. Still takes some user interaction, some social engineering, but definitely, you know, maybe not the best move from a security perspective. Yeah, and I was thinking, like, maybe one of the the more realistic use cases for like the bug bounty side is this is probably mm. going to come into play around like regex bypasses url like format or host checks and stuff like that where mm -hmm. maybe they're you know inserting just in a file name or or like at the file name portion of a url and you could somehow terminate the url and just turn it into a valid domain that you own 
or pass a regex check that is making sure it ends in .zip or something, right? Like where normally this would be impossible, but now you can have a domain and get a redirect or something. So yeah. I think there are there are some creative use cases, and it's yeah, just one of those sure. things to maybe note down in in your brain in the in your giant brain database that like oh, yeah, okay, exactly. <laughs> this, this is a thing that exists. Maybe maybe I'll pull on that later. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in, and yeah, like I said, I mean, we could even use it for like a like almost like a link hijacking thing too. If somewhere in like a a flow of, uh, you know, like a CI chain or something like that, there could be someone accidentally putting a space and now, you know, between the zip file and now yeah. you can just register that domain and then boom. So yeah. Or like converting relative URL to like a full domain or something like that. Yeah. That would yeah. be really cool. Sweet. All right. Let's see what's the next one we got. Oh, okay. I can talk, talk about this one. So the next one that I wanted to talk about was, um, this post from, uh, IF secure. I'm not even going to try to say his, his real name. Ivan is his first name. Fratrick, <laughs> Ivan Fratrick, uh, IF Secure. And uh, this is actually from May uh, 11th. So actually, yeah, this is still in this episode's uh, sort of period. But uh, it was recently disclosed that he found a bunch of bugs in SIP, um, which I think is a really cool protocol. And I think is one of the easiest protocols um, to sort of go after uh, as an HTTP bug hunter. Um, you can, if you go after um, SIP, it's very similar to HTTP in a lot of ways. Um, I found some bugs in this protocol at a previous live hacking event, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, so definitely want to encourage people to go there, read read through these um, CVEs. And these are actually really, really simple bugs, too. I mean, like you said in the tweet, in the subtweet, um, one of them is is literally just like a, you could fit it into a tweet. It's just like, you know, sip slash 2.0 AAAAA foo, and that gets misparsed and causes a buffer overflow. Yeah. Um, Worth noting, so. you can fit it in a tweet without a Twitter Blue subscription. Yeah. Ah, oh, there you go. You can fit anything in a tweet <laughs> yeah. now. But nowadays, oh, that's sad. Um, but yeah, so definitely, definitely something to check out. And I also, I'm just personally looking forward to the next opportunity I get, <laughs> the next excuse I get to uh, audit some C code directly um, and, and look at, you know, these sort of vulnerabilities because that's not something I'm comfortable doing and something I've done, not something I've done in the past, um, beyond, you know, rudimentary stuff. So I think taking a protocol that something that I'm familiar with, like SIP and going and, excuse me, reading the file, tr you know, trying to find some vulns in a different protocol for a change could be a really refreshing route to take. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, that's one of the, like, little kind of mini goals that i've kind of set where i i think it would be really cool if um to like fuzz like a project like an open source project and like f go from like start to finish of like having a crash and actually like getting a full exploit on it yeah i agree i think that'd be really cool yeah cool um yeah so uh next up we've got this awesome tweet thread um from hack luke uh this was a couple mm. days ago on the 13th and uh, basically, he just he created a little thread that that are some basically ten tips on that he recommends on how to crush your bug bounties, right? And so mm -hmm. I think this is like really relevant and has some awesome uh, sort of cro crossing, you know, uh, trends and themes that we've talked about on our podcast in the past. For sure. Um, but you know, number one, start right. Like I mean, this is like I, it seems it sounds obvious, right? But like it, it's it's huge. Like you have well, to just like take it some initiative and just like it's it seems super overwhelming and like in, intimidating yeah. um a lot of the people that i talk to who are like new hackers one of the biggest things i hear is like decision like fatigue right they, they, they yeah. open hacker one they go to the programs and there's a thousand programs what what do you pick what do you hack on who do yeah. you you know focus on well, what's that's a good the thing target too. i mean people another thing is people will jump back and forth from from okay i need to do um port swigger you know web academy W whatever whatever that thing is yeah. uh, Port Swigger's you know training thing which is amazing and one of my top recommendations by the way um, to Bug Crowd University to Hacker 101 to you know Naham Sex channel to Insider PhD's channel and they just jump around and it, that's great and you absolutely need to consume that material but you can't do that forever sometimes you got to get you got to get in the situation you got to get your hands dirty you got to make a bunch of mistakes and waste a bunch of time that should be your goal like like i you can't be afraid of that like you got to get in there and say like all right for every hour i waste right now trying to hack this or you know not finding anything that's another hour that i'm not going to have to spend before i find my my own vulnerability and to be honest like that sounds like a bunch of bs but i promise you that will that will provide you value in the long run. Yeah. Um, so I really like that. And the reason why I threw this on the dock for this time was um, 
yeah, you know, we get this question. This is the number one question we get. And this podcast is not super oriented towards beginners. Um, we may do a beginners episode at some point, but the number one DM that we both get is like, hey, how do I start in bug bounties? How can I do bug bounties? And um, and so this is a great place to, to look at um, for any of you that are are getting ready to start the process. Um, read through these and and take a look at Hack Luke's other content because yeah, this is a good a good path to get rolling. Yeah, well, and and I think what you talked about is a is a great strategy, just generally speaking, but also like especially for bug bounty. Bug bounty is not one of those things that's guaranteed, right? And we've talked about right. this a lot where you can spend hours, days, weeks and not find something that you would consider, you know, even high enough to submit. And I think it's important to set those kind of like check marks or checkpoints or whatever, like set yourself some boundaries in terms of, okay, write it down. If I hack for eight hours today and I find nothing, then I'm going to do something else or I'm going to take this action or, mm -hmm. you know, plan ahead and write it down so that you can sort of frame your, your, your mind looking forward so that when you hit that point, you're not like, all right, now what? Right. Cause you've already made a plan yeah. for it and that'll help you feel like less lost and less mm -hmm. like, like you haven't accomplished stuff. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I think we, and we've got it in the ideas doc, but I think we should definitely do a brain hacks episode of critical thinking, just kind of talking about some of the brain hacks that you need to be able to survive the bug bounty industry, <laughs> because it's really, it's really stressful, man. And it's hard, you know, it's a, it's a results for, you know, results for money sort of situation, which is always stressful. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a high FOMO situation. It's a high um, imposter syndrome situation. So there's a lot of um, mental toughness that you need to develop, which I've had the opportunity to benefit from, you know, being around some of the people that have, you know, gone before me and taught me some of these things at the live hacking events, but not everyone gets that opportunity. And so I think we ought to, I think maybe we'll bump that to the, to the top of the list for our upcoming episodes, because I think that could be really of some value. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Cool. Um, let me just run through the, the rest of these, these real quick. Um, okay. number two, targeting fresh programs. Like we talked okay. about, it's like, you know, yep. how do you pick somewhere to hack? Look for new scope stuff that have people haven't touched. Mm. That's going to be mm -hmm. more ripe for easy findings and all that kind of stuff where I just found that bug today. Yeah, exactly. Focus on your strengths, right? So this is like, if you want to find something, you want that satisfaction. Don't be like, you know, Oh, let me learn the, about mobile for the first time and like yeah mm -hmm. you know you might find a vuln that way but like if you know how to web hack just do some web hacking it's going to be easier you're you're going to have less nuance and less you're not going to have to be going back and googling all this stuff so much it'll be a lot easier yeah um, and and so just just to, uh, i'll jump in and comment on that one while we're here so i i definitely agree with this but i agree with this more for the be beginners of hacking right like, and if you're a web dev, you should find web phones. If you're a mobile dev, you should find mobile phones. Um, you know, if, and we've talked about this in the past as well. If you can, hack a product that you use, you know, hack a product that you are actively using as a user. Um, and you'll find, you'll find that it, things will go a lot easier for you. All right, continue. Yeah, Sorry. For sure. No, 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 absolutely. I, I appreciate mm -hmm. the, the input. Number four, autom use automation wisely. We have a whole episode about this, like when yeah. to automate and like where to draw that line. And I totally agree with, with Hack Luke. Before, you know, if you want to save yourself some time, like you can automate stuff, but you have to be aware that it can often lead to, you know, false positives, fake findings, all that kind of stuff. So mm. you really need to supplement it in there to save yourself some time, but don't waste your time by then having to yeah. check all those results like and, and double check it and trust and not trust it yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Or modify the script time and time again. Like I was talking about at the beginning <laughs> of the episode, you know, it, it definitely becomes a, a thing, you know, it, and I've recently also, I, I used to be a just my own tools sort of guy. Like I ran, besides stuff like, you know, mass DNS, which I'm not going to go write everything in the low level language and stuff like that. I would mostly use my own tools designed the way that I wanted them and that sort of thing. But lately I've really gained an appreciation for uh, specifically project discovery tools with HTTPX and DNSX and just essentially very um, Linux um, what is Linux? I can't think of the word in English that I'm trying to say the, the, the form, the flow of how Linux does it, right? Yeah. Uh, flow of those tools, you know, where you can pipe stuff back, you know, into other tools and the way that they connect together. Um, and so I think that's, that, that's really cool as well. You know, being able to use other people's tools effectively and build that into your own flow and not always having to build your own stuff. Cause that definitely will become a time, a time drain. Yep. 
Cool. So number five, practicing on vulnerable apps. Um, uh, I think I, I, I'm a little bit conflicted about this one because we've mm-hmm. had some discussions about this, I think, off the air about like, yeah. you know, new hackers and stuff. Again, I have lots of friends and, and people who are getting into hacking and they're like, oh, I was spending, you know, a bunch of hours like doing damn vulnerable web app or, or hack the box. I'm like, that's awesome. But but <laughs> you, you, you should like I would encourage you to like now that you've got like your hands around sort of the basics and you've got some ideas, go do some real hacking, like go do some yeah. bug bounty. Like, absolutely. You know, I, I don't want to say it's a waste of time because it's not like it's a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And like mm-hmm. I think CTFs and that type of like structured vuln that like, you know, it exists. You just have to figure out how to exploit it. It's great practice. However, yeah if you're really trying to optimize your time and like use it efficiently and get like that real world experience, Mm -hmm. jump into bug bounty as soon as you can so that you can really like start to look at real apps and less of these sort of set up structured preconditioned scenarios. Mm, Totally agree. Yeah. Number six, read reports from other hunters. I would put this right on par with reading blog posts and like, you know, making bookmarks and doing your own research and all that kind of stuff. Um, it also goes really well with the next one, which is engaging with the community. I think like staying in tune with what's going on within both just the general security community, yeah. as well as bug bounty community on Twitter, on blogs, on Discord, on, on CCBB Slack, podcast. On, yeah. On the critical thinking bug bounty podcast, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh-huh. Like any of those types <laughs> of methods, like if the fact like that you're listening, shouting out our podcast on our podcast. <laughs> on our podcast. Yeah. 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 The fact that you're listening to this right now, like already tells you you're, you're already doing it yeah, right. Yeah. You're in there you're engaging with the community you're reading slash listening to reports all that kind of stuff this is like a great way to get that kind of firsthand knowledge from like you know like otherwise how are you going to find this stuff like you know it's it's really really hard this is one of the things that i think a lot of bug bounty uh hunters struggle with is finding this kind of information out there like openly and freely and in 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 a way that's accessible for them to to read and and understand yeah yeah for sure um, on, so document everything. We've also, that's the next one. That's number, yeah, eight. number eight. We talked about that a little bit. Um, I don't do it so well, but I, I've realized after we did that episode talking about that, that I, uh, have I actually do it a little bit more than I thought. So, uh, you know, especially when I'm leaving a target and I'm, you know, holding those, uh, work-life balance boundaries really well when I say, okay, you know what? Ding, ding, ding. Alarm's going off. It's 4:45 or whatever. I'm going to spend the next 15 minutes cleaning up my, my, you know, uh, home directory and, uh, and documenting all my stuff and, you know, knowing where I left off, brain dumping my attack vectors and that sort of thing. And I think also working with you in the last event made us do that a little bit better too. We, uh, we got our own little, um, hackmd.io, um, notes up and we're dumping, dumping sort of potential leads in there. So I think that was, I think that was really good. Um, but it's definitely not something that I, I don't know. I wouldn't put that in like the top. Eh, maybe it makes the top 10, you know, maybe yeah. it makes the top 10. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was going to say the same thing is this is something I'm, I'm not the greatest at and haven't yeah. been the greatest at historically, but starting since like the last event, I've, I've been getting better at it. And I think finding a good system, whether that's heck MD or something else to, mm-hmm. to like help you structure notes in, in a way where it's, it's not quite brain dumping, but it's more, it's a little more organized. Right. Yeah. And like some way to structure that brain dump. I think I've seen a couple tools can't remember what they are but hackmd is really like the first one that comes to mind and i think something like that is a great idea even if Mm -hmm. it's just local markdown files yeah not hackmd but like whatever you want to do to just take notes so that you have some place you can search and reference back is is a great idea yeah my brain just automatically writes markdown anyway i can't even use google docs anymore (laughs) it just has to be markdown um so be persistent and enjoy the process of the last two and that's that's something that i kind of wanted to uh, talk about recently because I I do get all, like I mentioned before I do get all these messages on like hey how do I do this what should I do how do I hack I had a conversation with a guy I'll give him a shout out here if I can find his name uh yeah it's Pranshux OX um and I was talking to this person and they were saying hey you know should I pivot to a different program you know tell me exactly what to do and this is what I told him I told him hey go to your target spend four hours using the application and writing down every single attack vector you can think of in as minute detail as you can possibly think of. Then go back and test every single one of those very thoroughly. Think about when you think you've tested it, think about it again 
and make sure you, you have tested it properly from every single angle. And he did that and he found some bugs and I was really happy to see that. Um, and, and then he said, hey, you know, I found some bugs, but to be honest, I feel like I'm getting through, you know, everything that I can find, you know, on this target. And I said, that's perfect. That's where you want to be. Now, answer me this. Do you know that API better than any other bug bounty hunter? Do you know that API better than the devs that wrote that API? No? Then stay. Stay there. Do not pivot just yet. Because really, the way, the way you, you get some of these crazy villains is by, is by becoming a mega expert on these things. You should see some of the guys. Um, I won't sh shout them out specifically because I'm not sure how, how much information about their flow they want to give out. But like some of the top hackers on very singular programs, you, know, you go and see them, and they have literally built full applications around documenting the API and how the you know, authorization structure works on these applications. So they literally have built a, an application to help them document the application of their target. Like That's the kind of badass, like, I'm totally addicted to this, like, you know, concentration that you need to find crazy bugs and destroy a target. So um, definitely yeah. agree with, with Luke's uh, topic here on being persistent. And uh, yeah, enjoying the process. That's another thing is just being naturally curious, not stressing too much about, hey, am I finding volumes? Am I not finding volumes? But trusting the process and enjoying it along the way. And you'll have better results that way for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That persistence thing, that's something we've, we've talked about and I couldn't agree more like deep dive, like go deep as deep as you possibly can, because that's where you're going to start to make some of those like key connections, like in your brain, like, Oh, I wonder if this thing is accessible through this other endpoint or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and finding those hidden endpoints in the JavaScript or, or in the mobile app or whatever, like, you know, figuring out different ways to, to map that API Mm -hmm. as good as a developer can i think that that's mm -hmm. like really one of those those key those key things that makes the difference between like the number one on the program and the number three four five totally agree man um okay cool so definitely check out uh hack luke's uh twitter thread we'll we'll put it in the description yeah. the next one that i wanted to talk about is uh, a link tweeted out by mokuso um mokuso4 on twitter um, and he tweeted out a link to Asset Note, uh, the, an article that they published recently on bypassing IIS authorization. I, I love the title. You know, y you definitely know Shoves just went to Google. It's like how to write a clickbaity title, <laughs> right? <laughs> Bypass IS ISS authorization with this one weird trick. <laughs> like, I love it. Um, and and he got three RCEs, so you know, no for, big deal. For, for what he can't he can't do in clickbaity titles, he definitely can do with the hacking. Um, no, but this 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 write up is like a uh, is a masterpiece, man. Um, I was just talking to Joel about it before the the episode. Um, just stunning, and I, I'm really glad that it popped up today. And I'm actually glad we put it at the end of our. Uh, actually, so you actually also had something else you wanted to talk about, right? Shadow clone. So let's let's go let's go jump to that first, and then we'll come back to this blog by Asset Note because um, I I want to talk to that in the context of the the source code review stuff that we're going to do after that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we it's basically you know two two a double whammy both mm -hmm. from Shubs here, um, Infosec AU. Uh, and so mm -hmm. Shubs tweeted out a couple weeks ago, maybe like two and a half weeks ago at the end of April, uh, that he had spent a couple hours, uh, you know, working with this tool called Shadow Clone. Um, and he said that, you know, once you get everything set up and you get your Python env matching the runtime Python env, everything mm -hmm. basically works outside of the box. And you can use HTTPX, which is a tool that we've talked about before. Um, yeah, Project Discovery. To, yeah, yeah, 100%. Really awesome tool to scale your scanning out across, you know, a ton of different instances. And he said he did 150,000 uh, subdomains in three to four minutes. Um, that's wow. pretty awesome. And if you look at this, this project, it's called Shadow Clone. Um, and I had never heard of this until uh, Shubs tweeted it out. But essentially, it's inspired and very similar to Axiom and Fleeks, which are two other kind of like distributed, um, you know, VPS type like task mm -hmm. running solutions that exist. Uh, but the big difference, at least that's claimed within these docs, I haven't tested this myself, is that one, you can have like 10 times more instances, uh, up to a thousand instances. It's mostly free uh, compared to essentially pricing per instance and per minute uh, with Axiom. And it's faster. 
and it's basically free. Like, nice. There's no it, idle it, cost. Yeah. So I'm, I, I may have said I, I may have said it's mo- mostly free twice. <laughs> we're, we're we're emphasizing that that yeah. point. Very good. Again, mostly free. Yes. So that's what um, it literally says in the docs too. Mostly free. <laughs> mostly free. Yes. And 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 the mostly is like you know technically there are limits like in the millions on how many yeah. like calls you can make. But the yeah. way that this works is it uses um these uh these these dynamic like serverless functions to run your task so it'll take your input file it'll split it line by line and then it'll run like it'll distribute it among a bunch of different instances and it's uses like free tier instances and all that kind of stuff so it basically costs nothing again and uh yeah i mean it, it seems really really awesome kind of similar to um fireprox which we were talking about uh maybe a week or two ago that yeah. is kind of like this, but just for like the request side where it does, it puts it through an API gateway. So I think this is a really awesome tool. It's certainly more flexible than mm. the Fireprox stuff that we talked about. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's a really awesome way to, you know, distribute your scanning. So you're not taking yeah. down, <laughs> taking down services. I really, I really like that it, it supports the different, it, it supports Google, AWS and Azure too. Um, I think that's, that's pretty rad. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. All right, cool. Um, <clears throat> let me just actually, I'm just going to get clone this down right now before I forget. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to forget if I don't do it. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, going back to what I was talking about before, um, like you said, double special today for, for shubs, killing it always with the content. Um, so yeah, the reason why I wanted to butt this right up to our conversation about, um, about, uh, source code review is because it's pretty much a masterclass in source code review. Um, and I think this just reinforces the point that, that, um, that hack Luke, um, made in, in the, in the post of just making sure you're religiously reading, um, the posts by respected hackers, uh, you know, that you, that you admire and Shubs is, is, the top of that list for me, he really is. Um, and so, you know, it, and this this extends not only not only to people that are trying to learn or get into the space, but also to top hackers. We have to stay on top of this stuff and continue reading. And it's just become sort of a memory, uh, you know, a muscle reflex now. Every anytime I see anything like this come out, that I've got to get through it. So um, the list does get kind of long and overwhelming sometimes, but once you get into it, it's really it's really valuable. Um, okay, so last week we talked a little bit about. Um, VS code and, and how to use it and that sort of thing. And we, we addressed some of the stuff that we wanted to get to with source code, uh, review, but we, uh, like we talked about how to get access to source code. We talked about, you know, Docker containers, uh, NPM libraries, um, you know, leaks on GitHub, uh, you know, trying to get free trials of software. Um, and now you've got the source code, you know, maybe you pull it from an LFD, maybe you do one of those things. Um, but what do you do with the source code after you've gotten it? So that's what we want to spend some time talking about today. Um, and uh, this article by, by Shubs, um, I think, outlines a really good flow. And let me just kind of break that down for us real quick. Let me, let me, let me get some water before I do that because my throat's yeah. going to Yeah, up. no, and I, I just wanted to echo, like, mm. a masterclass might even be under, understating it just because, yeah. like, <laughs> I don't think if I were to tell somebody, like, how to do source code review, it would be much better than what Shubs is doing here because yeah. Shubs is doing, like, exactly the ty- types of stuff that we're talking about in terms of how to analyze, like, what you're dealing with, how to figure out attack surface, how to figure out how stuff mm-hmm. works, all that kind of stuff. And all of the asset note blog posts are incredibly like detailed in depth, really walking you through like how they're thinking about it, how the they're tools they're mm. using mentality, all of it. Right. And so like that type of insight is really, really useful. Um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, seriously, go, go read it, but I'll, I'll let you, yeah, let's, let's like walk through. So, all right, cool. So we'll, we'll walk through this, but first Joel, I want you to tell the people what is a source? What is a sync? Because those two terms are very important to this flow. And it, I think they're t- the two most important concepts in, in source code review. Yeah. So a source and a sync, right? So it, it, it might be kind of straightforward if you think about it, but a source is where you're starting and a sync is where you're ending. And so in source code, what that really means is a source is something like an input parameter or maybe... Um, a request handler would be your source function. And then the mm-hmm. sync is going to be the function that returns a response to, to the HTTP server mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. A, maybe a database 
a, a database, database call e execute or, call or a, yeah. or a cursor execution or a query something right yeah that's what you're saying so basically starting from some place some path syncing in another place right so when we do source code review um, the reason sources and syncs are, are really important is because they're the two best places to, to start from. So you've got two primary paths that you can go, right? You can start at a sync and say, okay, uh, I want to be able to control data getting passed into this function. Um, and so for a great example of a good sync would be the Python exec function or the Python subprocess um, popen uh, function or execute functions in C and and you know just think about any like any sort of template injection you know any any anytime you're dealing with um, a place that you would want to inject to cause uh, a file write you know for example those would all be great examples of of um, of syncs so you've identified these places where you want to get your data the reason why you want to get that your data there is because you can pivot and gain greater access control, right? So if, for example, if we were able to go after the sync p open, and we can get uh, in Python, then we may be able to get our, our malicious input in there, and then we could execute system level commands, which allows to shell the, the server. Um, and so that's, that's, a, that's a great example of a, of a sync. Now, a source, like, like you said, Joel, you know, it, that's, that's where we're getting our user data coming in, right? Um, and, it, and this is another popular place to start from. So you can either start with the sync and work backwards to the source, or you can start at the source and work, work forward to the sync. Um, Joel, which one do you, if you had to pick, uh, it, I know that we, we both do both, but if you had to pick one, which one do you think is like the, one, the way to go with? So personally, I like starting with syncs. Um, mm -hmm. But like you said, like you have to do both. Because starting with syncs can be really great, but it's also very frustrating if you keep tracing them back and there's no mm -hmm. source and you don't know what your sources would look like. So mm -hmm. understanding what where the syncs are and like finding them can also be a challenge because it's like an unknown number of syncs, right? Like uh, there, right. there's infinite possibilities. Could you depend on the application. Searching. Yeah, we Whereas, we just we just did a, a source code review where the target uh, used calls to the command line a lot um and unfortunately they encapsulated all of that into one function and that function was secure but if we hadn't known about that that sync if we hadn't um you know tracked down that sync and then sort of traced it back then we wouldn't have been able to audit all the paths and actually at the end of the day joel we actually did find one vulnerability that <laughs> got true. paid out using that so i that's feel pretty true. good about that that's true um but yeah so I, I really like that point is that one of the tricky parts about syncs is there's not like and there are some lists out there it's like all right here are the syncs for php or whatever but they're not all going to be the same all the time um and so getting to know your syncs in the application could be a really good exercise in source code review yeah and then like you said like Take your syncs, understand sort of how they work, how they're structured, where they might be living within the code base, and then try and figure out your sources. So like, where mm. are HTTP functions being handled? Where, like, what is, where does inbound data come in? And then see if there's any way to connect the two. Do they ever interact? Is there any sort of middle frameworks where they might be talking with each other? Are there any ways that you could maybe use some open-ended side of the application behavior to get your way over to that sync? And just like, trying to identify any way to connect those two. I think it's really hard to go like completely from one to the other um, without like doing yeah. a little bit of both. Yeah, for sure, man. I totally agree. And, but I will say I am in the opposite boat. If I had to pick one, I would start with sources. Mm. And the reason for that is because um, a lot of times syncs have to do with stuff like um, RCE or um, command injection or uh, file arbitrary file write or, configuration file injection, which we'll talk about soon. Um, fun, fun vulnerability there. Um, but uh, they don't necessarily always include business logic stuff. Um, and so, and those are still relevant to the application, even though we are, a lot of times when we're auditing source code, we're going for the prize. We're trying to get RCE, you know, trying to find deserialization or some of those other bugs I mentioned. Um, but I think tracing the sources allows me to understand the application a lot better when I'm first getting into it. So. Um, I often start with tr identifying all the places where I can trigger something in the application to happen. Um, and then I'll sort of trace those down the paths and try to map out, um, you know, where, what um, sort of logic flow it has, what if statements, what functions are being called. 
and, and then use that to understand the application. And then once I sort of understand the application, having mapped out a lot of those paths, then I can kind of say, okay, well, maybe I've got the sync, and then maybe I can work backwards from there. But if I had to pick one of the two, I think I would start with, start with the sources. Yeah, yeah, and I think like that approach is also like completely reasonable yeah, because sure. understanding your attack surface is highly important, right? It's just like it I is. talked about, like like you don't have to go from the sinks. If anything, you know, going from the sources probably makes a little more sense because you're hunting mm -hmm. for things that you know are reachable and yeah. you're at least able to understand like where your data is going from the edge inwards versus mm -hmm. trying to find some way out from deep within. Right. And so, yeah, yeah I yeah, think like sure. it just depends on maybe what you're looking for or, or, you know, what your time constraints are, or if you have a ton of sinks, it might not make sense to go through every single one. It might be mm -hmm. easier to just start with the sources and yeah. go from there. The, the sources, starting with the sources, definitely takes more time. I think if you're trying to find a quick RCE or a quick bug, then it might be best to work from syncs backwards. But yeah. then if you start from sources, you can also try to find areas where authorization breaks down and uh, have business logic impact. So I think that's, I think that's yeah, another another cool route, like you said. Okay, so the, the way that I wanted to sort of, uh, so I wanted to break that down for, for y'all, just kind of have that conversation, make sure we understand the terminology of sources and syncs. Quick editor's note before we get into the next section. The article that we're talking about was released by AssetNote, which is a company owned by Shubs, but the actual author of the article was an AssetNote employee by the name of Dylan Pinder. Uh, Dylan is also tremendously skilled. I've heard Shubs talk about him in the past, so uh, sorry for the misattribution, Dylan. Um, great work on the write-up and great work on the bug. All right, cool. With that cleared up, back to the show. And then I also kind of wanted to talk about um, how this correlates to Shubbs' write-up and how he actually uses one of my main tricks for... It's not really a trick. It's just how you find the stuff <laughs> uh, to, to find sources. And what he does, uh, you know, if you look in the reconnaissance section of the write-up, um, he, he, one of the first things he does is he looks at um, trying to find all the files that he can access, and then he says, unfortunately, uh, we couldn't find much of them. And so then he goes and looks in the web.config file, which shows the routing for the application. So this is an extremely important piece. You have to understand how your application well, actually, we, we can even take a step back, right, Joel? We can say uh, uh, not even routing at this point. What services are running on the application, right? What are on the on the target? You know, you might be you might be interacting with an IoT device. You might be interacting with something else. But um, what kind of services are running? Are there internal services running behind a reverse proxy? Are there are there services running on on um, different ports that you can't even hit from you know various interfaces that you could use to pivot. H having an understanding of that flow, I think, is extremely important, um, and that should be the first place to start. And then once you've identified the services, you can get into routes and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think like this is one of the best approaches because you're starting from like the very beginning, right? You're mm -hmm. looking at the configuration file. It's a very good for place to running. start. Yeah, from Sorry, the very I, beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I went all like nursery rhyme mode there. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So I, I just think like configs are a great place to start, you know, because like how does it work? How is it configured, right? And yeah, and go from there. That's a great source of truth. Yeah, for sure. So so what he does here is he he takes a look at the web config file and the site core config file, and he finds the ways that various requests are being routed um, and what kind of paths you can hit in the application. And then, you know, he mentions it's a little bit further down. Let's see if I can find it in the in the write-up. But um, he does an excellent job of, well, uh, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it, but essentially um, bypassing an authentication flow. And actually, this proves one of my theories wrong that I was going to tell you guys about this week, but I, I think I'll change my, my, my thought on this before I, um, uh, y you know, with, with Shub's write-up. I would normally say uh, that you should try to understand the auth scheme and then understand whether you're trying to find auth or unauth vulnerabilities and then go look at the unauth scope if you're trying to find unauth vulnerabilities, right? But really, that's a fallacious assumption because the, the further you understand the auth and how the auth is working there, then you may be able to find bypasses like he does in this situation. So um, he actually looked at auth and unauth scope and then figured out a way to you know, sort of get around the auth flow that the application was implementing um, to access some, some functionality. Um, so that was that was really impressive, um, and and so just to sort of walk through this flow, he looks at the Sitecore uh, config file and the, and the web config file. He identifies how the application is routing 
various requests. And then he um, is taking these DLL files out. He's uh, decompiling them, which with with uh, uh, DN spy, like like we mentioned, um, that's not the one that you recommend, right? Dot. Yeah, I recommended .peak. DN Spy yeah. is a little bit older, and I think it's actually not in active development anymore. However, mm. it does allow you to do debugging specifically, which I think is one ah, of the reasons cool. why um, the asset node team decided to use this, because you can set breakpoints within running apps without the source code. And so then cool. you can hit those breakpoints and make sure that like what you think is happening is actually happening. And so that's super, super useful for, for figuring out if your exploit is working, and if it's not, why not, and, and all that. Yeah, I, I've done that in the browser, but that is actually something I've never done and something that I do want to do in, in something that I'm reverse engineering is, you know, load it up into uh, something where you can set breakpoints and stuff like that. And and there, there are very specific situations where you can do this. You can do it in Java, a decompiled Java, and you can do it in, um, and obviously in, .net, in yeah. .NET here, like what they've got. Um, but that I, I think that's really cool. So then what he does is he identifies... Um, <clears throat> this uh, sitecore.mvc.dll um, file, and he identifies how various things are being routed. He identifies um, slash API slash sitecore slash controller, so that this is the controller variable and slash action. So now he's got, he's opened up to himself a, a scope that's really, um, that's really important. And Joel, this is kind of the thing like what we did with, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll bleep it later, with uh, was when you know we found the the endpoint where the, the endpoint we knew that this is where we needed to get access to functionality and then we made it our mission to get to that that point where we could access those routes to open up the scope right so it's not necessarily our hacking isn't necessarily always focused on like how do I get to this sync but also expanding the scope that you can have access to and I think that's something you did a really good job of in the past uh, event was you you know we had it we found that that target that we needed to get access to and then you were able to find a way to get access to that which expanded our scope so much allowed us to text so, test so much more um, source code and uh, and really opened it up so um, that's the same sort of thing he's doing here he's identifying a way to trigger different functions within the application and then he's being able to use that to you know sort of weave through the application and hit various endpoints the routing in this application is really funky yeah. um, and so um, he uses that to eventually get RCE through um, leaking a file, uh, a web config file, and that file contains the the keys for um, good old Noperator that we mentioned earlier, um, his tel uh, Telerik exploit, which came back uh, in 2019, which is used all the time, excellent exploit, um, because in, that enabled him to use that exploit because the encryption keys are stored um, in the web.config file. So that resulted in RC via deserialization um, through uh, what, what was really an LFD, um, right. which we talked about last time as well. Yeah, and just an awesome, like, just like a great way to show chaining different parts of the application, really going deep and understanding these separate moving parts and how they connect together and then mm -hmm. tying it all into one big, nice, putting a nice little bow on it and handing the team this beautiful POC that does everything all together. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love that. And then the, the other thing that I wanted to um, point out and let me just go ahead and note down what time we said the things that we need to bleep out really quick because I'm definitely, <laughs> I hope I don't forget to do that. Um, uh, but yeah, so <clears throat> the other thing that I wanted to point out was this was behind auth, right? Like I mentioned before. And so what he does then is he continues to look for a way to, um, to bypass auth here. And uh, the way that he ends up doing that is by looking very closely at um, the uh, this.context user identity is authenticated check, right? So how is that, how is that being generated? And um, after d deep diving into that um, and looking into sort of how that functionality is created, he found that, and I love this, this is such a great hack, dude. I just, mm, <laughs> I love it, right? Because, you know, when you have a user uh, the, and it's something like is authenticated, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to have to be a user at some point. Not necessarily, because what he finds is that um, there's some functionality surrounding mailing lists. And uh, let me just go ahead and read the line. It's a site core could be configured with a rendered or, or renderer user to enable a user who is subscribing to a mail list to access information without having to log in when they view the email. So when, they, when they've um, clicked on the link from their email. 
freaking brilliant. And then when, when viewing these items, I'm just going to finish reading this. When viewing items this way, the user provides some query parameters such as EC underscore message underscore ID and EC underscore ID, which tells Sitecores the details of the email item they are viewing. Oh, and how nice. you know what that freaking does? <laughs> that configures the user property on the application um, to be the user that the renderer user and bypasses the is authenticated check, which allows you to access some of this functionality. So and I'm just crazy. like, what a masterpiece. Yeah, right? beautiful. The, the uh, stars have aligned. Like, it's amazing. That's how it always feels, you know, with these things is like, yeah. wow, look at this, you know, <laughs> alignment. Phenomenal. So really, just to review really quickly here, what Chubbs does is he looks through the routes, understands how the application is routing, expands his scope by getting access to this API slash site core, and then being able to define the controller in the actions, audits the code in the controller that's in the actions, finds a sync um, that we didn't really talk about too much, but was essentially a, uh, a preview functionality that allowed him to pass in a, a, pr a parameter, which led to local file disclosure. And use that LFD to disclose the web.config file, which contained the encryption keys, which he could use for a known CVE by an operator himself um, to get a deserialized RCE. And then made that a sort of a semi-unauthenticated bug by um, using abusing the isAuthenticated check, um, which can be sort of uh, spoofed by subscribing to a mail list and then clicking a link from the mail list, um, which will generate these EC message parameters uh, that can be used to get your uh, is authenticated your current user uh, authenticated user to be rendered a renderer user rather than just no user. Right. QED. I mean, just like yeah, crazy. Like <laughs> just like Phenomenal. an amazing like combination of 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 different bugs and different like pieces of knowledge throughout the application and, mm. and just just and, uh, uh, just well done to the Asano team. Incredible. Amazing. Route so route expansion or route you know understanding the routes. Expanding your scope, finding your your sync. Um, those are those are some major some major pieces of this. Uh, some major takeaways from this this article. You know the the flow that he had there. So yeah. anyway, really cool that that came up that this week when we were wanting to talk about that um, the sources and syncs thing. Um, and we, we spent a lot of time already <laughs> talking about doing an in depth talk on a vulnerability. Um, so I think we'll save any any report. Um, summarization for next time, if that works for you, Joel. Yeah, yeah, I think that's all good. Okay. Sweet. All right, we'll call it there. All right, Catch sounds good. Week. That's the pod. Peace. <laughs> Yo, um, I've recorded this outro so many times. This one's going to be the last one. I, I'm done. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, please head over to YouTube, uh, find our channel at Critical Thinking Podcast, and drop us a subscribe. Also, on your podcast app of choice, just just subscribe, please. And we, we don't want you to miss an episode. We, we want to keep hanging out. Um, finally, if you could tell someone about the podcast, that would be amazing. That would make my day. Tell your, tell your friend, tell your weird neighbor, tell your hacker chats, tell anyone who will listen. Go, go to ChatGPT and tell ChatGPT about Critical Thinking Bug Bounty Podcast. All right, guys. See you next week. After having so much fun recording these outros, I figured I'd throw a couple bloopers in for y'all at the end. Enjoy. Um, and drop a like, subscribe, whatever, there. Hack, hack, hack! Yo, thanks for listening to this episode of Critical Thinking Bug Bounty Podcast. If you enjoyed, head over to YouTube and drop a like and subscribe. And also subscribe on your YouTube... Nope. <laughs>